Nurse User News for the week of February 4th, 2019, and I'm your host, Rebecca Hartman-Baker. Today's guest is Ben Maxwell. Ben is a project director within the Projects and Construction Office at Berkeley Lab. In his spare time, Ben is studying viticulture, the study of wine. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So today's topic is the facilities work that has to be done for Perlmutter. So I heard there's a few things that we might need to do before we can get Perlmutter. Yeah, we've got quite a bit of construction work to do to, to get the building, uh, especially electrical power and cooling to the building so that when Perlmutter shows up, we've got the capabilities to support it. Oh, okay. So we've got to add some power and cooling. So how much of that are we adding? So we're lucky enough to add 12 and a half megawatts of power to the building, which will take us to the, the full anticipated build out of the south half of building 59. So that basically doubles the capability of the building for electrical power. Wow. Okay. So how do we accomplish that? So uh, starting at the, the top of the uh, electrical chain, we have a medium voltage switch gear that was not fully built out at the time of construction. Mm-hmm. So starting there, we need to basically uh, outfit some empty cabinets on both sides of, of the switch and then distribute power to a new series of electrical substations that are inside the building. The switch station is immediately adjacent to the building, but the substations are inside our south electric room. Okay, so that switch gear was the thing that over the summer we had the outage. Right, we had and inspected a, a, it. Yeah, a maintenance cycle on the switch gear. And that, from what I understand, went really well. It was the first time that they had actually gone into the switch station since the time of construction. So there was some concern that they might find some you know, mysteries or things that were taped together and barely functioning. But apparently the, the, there were no surprises and everyone was very happy with the condition of the electrical equipment inside. Okay, well that, that's always good news. Yes, always. Yeah. <laughs> so we get power from uh, PG&E, right? And it comes to the lab at what kind of a voltage? At 118 kV, I think. Yeah, okay. That seems like a lot. Yeah. That's, and that's high voltage, That's right? high voltage. That's high voltage. Yes. And then um, then there's some transformers. Yeah, we it... stepped down the power at the Grizzly Peak substation mm-hmm. uh, down to 12.47 kV, so pretty big step down in power. And that's uh, the basic electrical distribution around site. So mm-hmm. there's two transformers and a large switch station up the hill. That switch station then has conductors that run all the way down from the top of the hill to our medium voltage switch gear here on, on mm-hmm. that next to the building. Okay. And when we were talking, I learned that medium voltage is actually, sounds like really high voltage to me, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's more than you'd find in your house. Yeah. 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 But it's also more than even goes into the machine, right? The machines are at 480. 480 typically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's low voltage. Yeah. Well, not, not completely low voltage, but it's somewhere in there between high and medium. <laughs> I'd call it normal voltage. Normal voltage, okay. <laughs> That's good enough for a non-electrical engineer. Right. <laughs> but yeah, much higher than, you know, your house is typically 120. You might have a, a, a 220 in there if you have a dryer or other piece of, larger piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. But on our site, you know, we have 120. I think 277 is typically the lighting, and then the computer systems will run on 480. And so a lot of specialized mechanical equipment will run on 480 also. Okay. All right. So these electrical substations, they're pretty big, 
right? Yeah, they're, they're I think they're about 25 feet long, um, eight to 10 feet wide, and six or seven feet tall. And they're multiple sections that are smushed together, bolted together. But basically, a substation is a combination of a transformer, uh, switches on either side of that uh, to, for electrical isolation, and then there's a series of distribution buckets that will provide electrical feeders further downstream to provide power to the building. The substations that we're putting in for this project are exclusively for feeding the HPC systems. So most of these substations will, well, actually all of them, will, will feed electrical distribution panels that are found in the computer room. In the case of nurse data center floor, the electrical panels line the perimeter walls. Yeah, okay, I've seen those down there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then from, from those panels to the computers are typically fed under floor, so you don't see a lot of the electrical distribution. Yeah. You can also feed it overhead, this depends okay. on the data center look you're going for. Right, okay. Okay, so then there's also going to be some cooling capacity being added in? Right, so if, where there's power, there's going to be heat, so you need uh, some way to cool the computers. We're typically dealing with water-cooled computers, and in, in our case, and it looks like most cases for HPC these days. So yeah, we, uh, we have a cooling system that's driven by evaporative cooling, so we have cooling towers. In, in line with the other aspects of this project being an expansion, we have four cooling towers that are in operation today, and the, the facility upgrade project will add an additional three large cooling towers out on the existing pad that's south of the building. Okay, so how does that work? How do you add those? So that's going to be probably the, the most challenging part of the project is mobilizing a large crane to lift those units into place. Um, it's hillside type construction. Uh, there's a lot of existing infrastructure in the in the way of it, so it's not as easy as just rolling it in on a truck and sliding it off. They're large units. They're very heavy, and you need a large crane to be able to handle that type of load at a, at a long moment arm. So that's, that represents probably the, the biggest construction uh, challenge for us in this project. Mm -hmm. Well, and they've got to make it up our U-shaped yes. yeah. road somehow. You don't exactly have a grid on site. Yeah, and then through the gate, hopefully they'll fit, huh? Yeah, so we've, we've been planning the logistics with our, with our general contractor for quite some time, and they continue to push them to continue to plan <laughs> and plan more than they think they need to. Yeah. Okay. So then with those new cooling towers, that'll mean that there's going to be more water for cooling. Right. And then um, more pumps and... Yeah, so like the cooling towers have pumps to, to drive the water. And they also, on the other end of, from the cooling towers, they, that tower water runs through a series of heat exchangers where it's basically cooling off the hot water coming out of the end process of the HPC systems. And the, the heat exchangers basically are a plate heat exchanger where the water transfers the, the energy of, of cold water to the hot water. So it's cooling off the hot water coming out of the computers. It goes through another set of pumps which drives the water back up to the HPC systems. And those basically provide the cooling to keep the computers in, in a comfortable space. Okay. So um, in addition, there's going to be some additional air handlers? Correct. So even though the computers are water-cooled for the most part, there's still a need to have environmental control over the, the room air itself. 
there's an opportunity here to provide a little bit more air power and to balance out the load because right now the air handlers are, are sort of have they have a center of gravity that's to the far end of the room and so we're going to take advantage of putting a few extra air handlers to provide a little bit more uh, capability should it be needed in, in hot times and then also to kind of balance out the pressure underneath the floor. Oh, okay. Now speaking of balancing, there's the um, earthquake isolators, right? Right, and that's something that we're continuing to study and design while the construction starts and we're hoping to dovetail those activities at some point, but the floor is a base isolated floor that utilizes a series of springs and cables to provide a very loose uh, or flexible floor and some damping. The idea there is that since we're so close to the Hayward Fault, this system basically provides a, sort of a gentle glide in, in an earthquake and, and really what's happening is the ground and the building would be moving and the isolated floor would be mostly staying still. But the easier way to think about it is to flip that on its head and imagine the floor moving in an earthquake. And so this isolation system basically frees up the movement of the access floor from what the rest of the building's doing to help protect the machines. And that system is mass dependent. And so when you take one computer system out or move it to a different location on the floor, that changes the distribution of mass, which then necessitates a structural engineer to go in and provide a, a further analysis on that floor system. And so the floor system had uh, went in originally with a set of uh, load assumptions that NERSC had provided that sort of looked in the, the best crystal ball vision of the future at the time. But that never really came to fruition with the tape library being at the south end of the floor. So one, we just kind of studied with what the impact of Corey and Edison in, in the position they are was the analysis that was originally performed close enough, and we found, yeah, that was it was it was okay. It was in line with the, the bounds of the analysis. But now we're looking at what what will need to be done to modify the system for Perlmutter arriving and Edison going away, and also just to be sure. We're also taking a look at what the floor system would do once Corey goes away in a few years. Oh, right. So trying to plan as much uh, as we can for the future. But in essence, whatever the results come out of, that, of the analysis, uh, we may have to basically remove springs or add springs to the carts to sort of tune the floor so that it, it, it moves in an earthquake the way we need it to. Okay. So... In the event of an earthquake, if you had really static like pipes and stuff under the floor, they would break and everything you know everything would get all wet. So, is there something that we're doing to sort of control for that sort of thing? Right. So the the floor the the piping that comes up from the mechanical level, which is the lowest level of the building, right below the computer floor, is all fixed up to a certain point. From that pipe to the computers, there's basically flexible stainless steel pipe, but it's very similar to the connect type of connection that you would see in uh, food processing plants. That was a surprise for me, having the wine background that they use the same type of clamps for the hoses to connect the supercomputers. I would have never imagined that. <laughs> so that was interesting. But that uh, using that type of flexible cable is, is, is a perfect fit for having a floor that deforms because it does provide that type of flexibility. Uh -huh. So that addresses the water 
And then electrically, we, we still need a code compliant way to get the uh, electrical conduits to the machines. And so there is a space between the fixed portion of the building and the isolated portion of the floor that's called the moat. And all base isolated buildings have a moat, which is literally just like it sounds, it's kind of like the space around the castle. And that's where the isolation system will move around in an earthquake. And so in order to prevent the electrical cords from being unplugged and doing a lot of damage to either at the panel or the computers, there's a, a, a large wave, which is uh, an extra loop of slack so that the conduits can move in an earthquake. And that one's actually an even more perplexing problem because it seems it's it's very easy to say that the, the conduits are flexible, but they're 150 amp feeders, so it's a pretty big chunk of copper, and it actually is mm. probably pretty stiff. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully we never have to find out. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> no earthquake is a good earthquake. That's right. <laughs> okay, so what kind of a time frame are we? Looking at here. So I would say that the, the overall hard construction is about 18 months, maybe a little bit longer. We are looking to be substantially complete by July of 2020, and we're just now getting underway. And I don't have to say we're putting shovels in the ground on this project because we're not putting a shovel in the ground on this project. Uh-huh. All right. And so you have already assured me it won't be too disruptive to my daily work. Yeah, that's life. that's my goal. Because most the vast majority of the work is occurring in the, the base level of the building inside, uh, with the exception of the cooling towers, probably a little bit of work at the medium voltage switchgear, which is sort of underneath the building anyhow and away from the main entrance. It should be pretty invisible. We're going to be using the bottom level of the building to for entrance and egress, and then there aren't... Uh, necessarily a, a whole heck of a lot of things that are going to make a lot of noise but there might be um, a lot of little noise so we're coordinating with things that, that will make noise to perform them early so try to shoot between 6 and 8 a.m. before mm -hmm. most people show up to work um, and then we can do some off-hour work if something's going to be unnecessarily loud that's when I show up to work Eight o'clock? No. Six? Six. Oh, okay, you're an early bird. You must be the only one here. I'm one of the few here. Yeah. Well, I get in about 6.30. So. Okay. But you're going to have to have at least one outage, right? Yeah, we, we anticipate at least one full building outage at the, at the medium voltage switchgear, which will take the whole building offline, not just the HPC systems. So that that is, I believe, the only full yeah. building outage. From there, there'll be probably a few other more minor outages. We're working with the contractor right now to develop what we're going to call an outage matrix, which will show exactly how far upstream each of those outages will occur and then when. And then we're going to work with the nurse facility operators and with Jeff Crowns and Jeff Fraud just to make sure that we communicate that out as early as possible so we can coordinate, move things around as, as need be so we're not interrupting any large runs or anything like that. Okay, good. So, switching gears a little bit, um, how did you get into this? I mean, I don't think you probably were dreaming as a child of working on an HPC center. So, how did, yeah, how did I, you get in this career? I, I think a lot of people stumble into project management or project being a project director, which is just an advanced project manager, I guess. But I, I actually started off in a somewhat related field and in being interested in architecture and 
in high school got reguided by a grumpy dean at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo who said uh, I didn't want to be an architect and that I had too good math grades to, to waste on architecture. So I was crushed and at the same time he opened my eyes to a new field that I didn't really know about which was architectural structural engineering. So I actually did go to Cal Poly and study that and, and in retrospect it was a really good recommendation because I have enjoyed being a structural engineer and working on buildings, uh, especially doing here in earthquake country and uh, work, worked as a consulting engineer for a number of years in San Francisco and in the South Bay, working on some pretty cool projects. Got to design a building on both my alma maters at Cal Poly and UC Berkeley. So that's pretty cool. But then eventually ended up working for Department of Energy following the footsteps of a colleague that had worked on the TerraScale facility at Livermore. And so that led to the beginning of my career at DOE. And I, I've been at, with Lawrence Berkeley National Lab for a little bit over two years now. Came here specifically to work on, on big complex projects and Nurse Nine uh, was there ready to, to take over. So I, I fell into a good spot. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we're glad you're here. Thank you. Okay, so finishing up here, um, three things that you want nurse users to know. First is uh, this job, not only will it, it improve and uh, allow nurse to grow and to provide you know, bigger, quicker, better machines, but it will also provide redundancy, which will help make the nurse more reliable and, and minimize service interruptions into, into the out years. So excited to be able to help participate, you know, and grow the HPC community for NERSC. Yeah, that's great. Uh, another aspect that I, I enjoy being involved with, with the NERSC project is that I know that there's a lot of earthquake simulation work done on the machine. So it's, it's exciting to be able to help contribute to make that science more advanced and granular. I recently saw, read a quick blurb about exascale science for geophysics. So that's exciting to know that, that my work is going to help contribute to that in a small way. Yeah. So a third aspect that I'm going to enjoy learning about more as this, this, work, as this work progresses is uh, all the building instrumentation and metering that goes into to making the data center operate as efficient as possible. And even in the time that I've been working on getting the design documents ready and kind of learning about NERSC and um, interacting with staff, it's uh, really exciting to see the, the level of detail and attention that they put into understanding how the building supports the computer systems and how they can continue to make refinements and add additional capabilities to the equipment to understand how it's operating to continue to make it as efficient as possible. That's a real exciting aspect of the work, and, and I know the research here could carry out to, to other construction types and you know, just continue to, to make construction, which is a pretty, has been a pretty wasteful and resource-intensive uh, occupation and something that's a little bit more efficient. Yeah. Well, those are all three great things. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That was fun. <laughs>